Um, I want to take a moment to thank everybody for taking the time. I hope this, this series will be something which is meaningful. Um, and I want to thank Malki Spitz, who's been uh, working with us to, to think about in Lana been working together just to think about what we can do to create more women's learning opportunities. And this is one example of it. So we're going to try to take this time in the next course of the next month to learn through a particular idea, but it's actually safer based. So rather than me going to a lots of different ideas and pulling out the different ideas and giving the presentation, I'd like to start at the very source. We'll learn it together. We'll, we'll sink ourselves and our, our minds into the words of the Ramchal and try to appreciate what he's saying because this is a transformational perspective. Once, once I start learning this, it's, it's, you see the world very differently. So let's, let's, let's start at the beginning. Who was the Ramchal? So you may most naturally associate him with Misilas Yesharim, where the just, and he is generally, generally understood from that perspective as a Baal Musar, as a person who teaches Musar, the personal growth, self-reflection in life. However, it's worthwhile noting that that really was the capstone of his achievements and writings. He was a prolific writer and a very unique thinker. Um, in fact, he was such a profound thinker that he was a little too early for his times um, in, in certain ways. And the ideas that he used to proliferate were so unconventional in a sense that, um, that he started talking about these Kabbalistic ideas in very easy to access um, perspectives that he was rejected from his community where he grew up, which was Amsterdam actually. And he made his way to Israel and ultimately died there. He died a very young person, so he passed away at the age of 40. Um, so that, that's, um, he was a, a young man and he passed away at the age of 40. And in fact, it's interesting to notice, does anybody know where Mara, where the Ramchal is, uh, is buried. In progress. So he's buried in Tiberia, very good. And do you know whose grave he is next to? It's interesting to note. If you ever go to Tiberia to, to visit the graves, he's just behind, to the left of Rabbi Akiva. It's interesting to note. Now, why should that be interesting? Because when was it that Rabbi Akiva, so to speak, had that revolution, that personal revolution in Torah? Was it the age of? 40. There are those who say that the Ramchal was a reincarnation of Rabbi Akiva's first 40 years. It's an interesting perspective. Now, many, many centuries later, but he was a very, very unique individual. The Vilna Gaon, who lived often, this is before the founding of Hasidus. We call this, you know, this, this is before anybody took the, the, the trademark on, on expressing what's called Nistar, ad, uh, deeper ideas. And the Vilna Gaon said that if he had been at the times of the Ramchal, Ramchal was slightly earlier than him, um, he would have worked barefoot to Amsterdam to, to have heard his, his Torah. So he has very different perspectives. He was a very unique person. And um, he has many Sarim which are on the border of Ka Kabbalah, on Kabbalistic teaching, and many which are actually just being able to, to, to teach deeper understandings, what we call Mahshava, philosophy, in, in a, like a meaningful setting. So let's, let's, uh, let's, let, let's uh, delve into it. It is, yes. Um, he lived, I'm just, I don't, the exact years, um, let me just quote for you right now, were, I believe it's the 1700s, give me a second. Um, sorry, just, I did not, do, did not get the exacts, Ilana. Um, no, that's okay, the 1700s, that's good. He was, yeah, he was in the early 1700s, um, so, uh, um, so he, he lived at the beginning of the 1700s for, uh, um, his teens were in the 1730s, okay, so, um, yeah, um, in, in he he passed away in 1746. Okay, so 
So that so that's we're talking about pretty pretty early in terms of these type of thoughts. And um, so what some people say, it's interesting to to note. I, I, I many years ago I used to listen to the Shirm right, David Gottlieb on this actually before I even had a chance to learn it myself. And he pointed out that the Ramchal was such a profound per- person that it's it's the example he gives of learning the Ramchal is the following: is that when you learn his different books, and he has books on all kinds of things. He was very philosophically developed and he talks in a lot of philosophical conversations um, he says it's like imagine you're going to a museum and you see a very beautiful statue and you want to convey a picture of that statue to those who weren't at the museum so if you take a snapshot it's not going to really do justice to the experience because it's a two-dimensional experience of a much larger there's so much more to it there's so much more subtlety shadow light so what you, you could do is you take a snapshot you know, at every 36 degrees and you take 10 snapshots all the way around and you give it to somebody and they have a, more of an access to the picture that you are looking at, to, the, to, to, that, to that structure. And reading the works of the Ramchal, the more you read, it's almost as though they're different snapshots at different angles of the same truth that he was looking at. So we're trying to, we're trying to get those different angles. Um, so Mr. Sushram is one angle but it actually is, um, is, is only one angle. So we're going to look at this, the, this sefer that we're going to work together. It's called Derech Hashem, the way of God. It's a four-section sefer. So it's divided into four basic sections. And the section we're going to be looking at is the first one, which is the most basic, which is the, the role of creation, the role of humanity in creation. Seems, seems so basic, but it's, it's not so basic. And, uh, and um, what he does is this is essentially an encyclopedia of Jewish thought. Doesn't cover all topics, but it covers these topics very basically. We'll see how he develops these thoughts in such a profound way. So that's that's our starting point. Yes, Rosemary. Is this book in uh, the Hebrew bookstores? Yes, you should. There's actually a, there's in, so there's actually two translations of it, which are fantastic from Feldheim. I would recommend the and the one you have in front of you, a copy of of one um, of one. I'm going to be using the Rabbi Arya Kaplan translation. So Rabbi Arya Kaplan translated the Derech Hashem. And for those who don't know, the best, best kept secrets is the footnotes. Is that Rabbi Arya Kaplan also wrote extensive footnotes to, uh, to, the, to the Ramchal and, um, and very creative perspectives, which perhaps we'll see some of those as well, because Rabbi Arya Kaplan sort of lived in that sphere of, of, of thought as well. So that's what we're going to do, but you can absolutely get it. There's a few versions of it. I have the pocket version, which I started using initially when I learned it through the first time. And uh, but there's there's the larger versions which are which are available. I believe there's a later translation by Rav Shragov Silverstein, I think as well. But uh, be it be it as it may, uh, just down the road, um, you, we can uh, we can find and pick up one for oneself. So let's start at the very beginning. Actually, it's not the very beginning. What ends up happening is a lot of people start learning Derech Hashem, and they go through the introduction and the first chapter, and then they get completely lost because that's the further the introduction is about the methodology he's going to use. Details, sub-details, and how it's going to be all orchestrated, and it's get co- it gets nitty-gritty. It gets complicated. So people say, "Okay, I'm going to skip the introduction." So they go to the first chapter, and it's about God. And if you don't understand the language he's using, then it's very hard to appreciate what he's really saying. So people say, "Okay, that's the safer. It's not for me." You've got to skip to the second chapter, which is much more accessible. This is this is where we start. So we're going to try to just appreciate his language. So the first thing he says over here is, "Hinayatachles abria." The purpose of creation was in order to give, for the Almighty to give to that which is outside of Him. So this, this line requires a lot of thought for a second. And that is, is that people ask sometimes, why did God create the world? Notice that He's not answering that question. He, what is the question He's answering? Purpose. Purpose, good. It's important to differentiate between purpose and reason. 
right? So Rav Soloveitchik talks about this in his essay called Odido Fake, which was a speech he gave in 1956. And he's he actually relating back to the Holocaust and he's looking forward to the state of Israel. It's a very important speech to read. Very, It's, it's essential Judaism to appreciate what's, what's been going on in the last century. Um, and he makes a very important point. He, when analyzing the book of Eov, he says that it's, it's important to differentiate between why and for what, which is essentially the reason and the purpose. So as opposed to saying, you know, why did this happen, which a lot of times we're really never going to get a sufficient answer in our lifetime, there's a different uh, question which you could ask is, for what purpose did this happen? They say about Rav Kahaneman, Panovich Rav, who moved to Israel, leaving his family behind, was not able to get them out in time before they were murdered in Europe, and during the Holocaust lived in what was then called Palestine, started on a hill in the early 1940s rebuilding what was, or, or, or not rebuilding, building on a little hill, a little small place that was called then Bnei Brak. He had a dream to make a yeshiva on this hill and he called that Yeshiva Ponovich, after the Ponovich of Europe. And while this was all happening, he, uh, um, he, he literally from nothing, from scratch, no funds, no, he, he, he rebuilt he rebuilt a, a universe. The, the Ponovich Yeshiva is one of the greatest yeshivas in the world. And somebody, somebody, another Holocaust survivor came to him and said to him, I don't understand. I wasn't able to go forward. I wasn't able to, to remarry. I wasn't able to rebuild a family. I was so stuck in the tragedy of it, and understandably so. What, how, what do you do? What do you say to yourself? That was different. So he said, the, the, he says, the difference between the two of us is, is that when you woke up in the morning, you said, why me? And when I, and when I woke up in the morning, I said, for, for, what, for what purpose did God leave me alive? And so like he, he, he wasn't trying to work out the details. He was trying to understand what, why, why am I here, for what purpose. So this is the important point is that the purpose of the world, not the reason for the world, we don't understand why God created the world, but the purpose of the world is in order to give, to, to give goodness to others. That's, that is God's willingness to give goodness. Now, how can there be an other outside of God? It's a very good question in general. <laughs> who, who, is, who is the other? So the, the, it's necessary. We're not, this is not part of the, what he's talking about now, but it just as an aside, in order for God to do that, God needed to create otherness, which means, which is a little complicated, because if you have something, something which is infinite, then there is no other, because other would be deficiency in the infinite, right? So what he has to do is, is he has to choose to diminish for himself what's called the process of tzimtzum, where Akash Baruch Hu, so to speak, creates a halal, this space which looks like he isn't in it, in order for there to be other in it, because otherwise other couldn't exist. Right, and that we'll call universe, that, that halal is universe, and he wants to give all the, the greatest amount of good to other. That's, that's essentially the purpose of creation. Okay, good. So now how's that gonna work? So how, do, how does this process unfold? So here's how he explains it. God is the greatest amount of fullness of completion, lacking any lacking. There is no completion which is quite the same as Hashem. So let's say you have something which somebody says, this is perfect, that meal was just divine, right? It was just perfect. This house, this edifice, this, this entity, absolutely perfect. He says, well, that's not really, that's not really, um, that's a South African word, yes. Uh, <laughs> I just was using that in the, in the right context. Um, so th that is not really fully perfect. That's not really fully perfect. It's lacking because it is an image, a shadow, a reflection of real perfection. It is, um, it is only complete in a 
with a lacking in it. The only com- complete entity, idea in the world is God. Okay, so can you guess what the next line should be in this, in this, in this over here? What would be the next line? So if God is the only, the only um, great and we'll call it... Well, 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 oh, sorry, well, I just muted you. I'm sorry, do you, you want to unmute? Sorry, I, I muted you. So there's a little background noise. Anyone want to give it a shot? If you want to say something, please, please unmute. I just put the mute on because there was a little bit of background noise in the back. Um, so let's, uh, let's think about the logic. His, the first paragraph was God created the world to, do, to give good. God is the absolute complete, right? He's the only complete entity in the world. So what's the, what, what's the, this, uh, what does this lead to logically? So if God wants to give the greatest good, what is the greatest good? Himself. Himself. Good. Okay, do you, see, do you see what the logic of where he's building up over here? The greatest good, therefore, God could possibly give is, you know, like, you know, think about this great, huge, large, red-wrapped, gold-ribbon gift. It's like, no, <laughs> it's, it's all good. That's, that's all worthless, right? So the greatest good he could possibly give if he wants to give good is himself. Because anything else, let's say he would give you the greatest and most beautiful house. He'd give you an island, right? He gives, he gives you a private jet, <laughs> right? Think about the depreciation value. It'll be a tax break for a few years at least, right? But nonetheless, that's still not perfect. Nothing's perfect in this world. Everything is finite. Everything is depreciating over time. Everything is, 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 is a shadow of perfection. That's why he says in the next paragraph, Al-Kain, So since God wants to give to that which is outside of him, it's not going to be enough to give a little bit of good to give the greatest goodness that those outside of him can receive. And since he is the greatest good, so it won't be good enough for God to give you a half-baked gift because that isn't Him doing the greatest good because that isn't the greatest good because He is the greatest good. So anything barring Him is essentially a half-baked gift. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Right? So let's say, you know, like, it's just funny because like we, we talk in these terms all the time. We kind of imagine the world to come as a place, you know, with a nice spa, you know, a good <laughs> massage parlor. You know, like I'm saying, like, we have this, all these conceptions. But what are we essentially, essentially doing is reflecting good in our terms for, for him to give to us, right? It's going to be the jackpot, this nice, you know, briefcase with lots of, lots of green in God we trust. You know, like, but those are all human terms. And so that actually is deficient in terms of, that would mean to say that God isn't doing a great job of giving good, right? Because it's not really giving good. It's giving kind of like, you know, we'll call the runner-up prize, right? So that's not really the greatest good. In order for it to be the greatest good, it needs to be him. So how does he give him is the question you have to work out. Yeah. When you say giving is good, and you mentioned the spot and you don't really it's like people walk into, um, it's what we need. It's what mankind nowadays considers good. It's their version, it's our version of good, many people. But Hashem's version of good is, what you just said, giving himself. It's beyond, right. So it, it is, no correct. He is, he is the infinite source of good. So I would like to give the greatest good. Let me give that greatest good to, to you, and that's me. So. How does Hashem give himself to another? Right, that's sort of the, 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 the question now. So we know the, the purpose, right? The purpose is to give the greatest good. What is the greatest good? The greatest good is God. So how does he do that? How, how would this universe match that, Elaine? Okay, so what's that? Oh, good. So that's, he has actually has two svarim on that topic. <laughs> <laughs> he has, he has, he, the, the books he has on that is called Das Tfunos. 
and, and actually it's a, a Socratic conversation. Jenny, welcome back. Um, so it's a, it's a Socratic conversation between, um, I believe it's the, the Leiv and the, and the Seichel. He actually works a lot of Socratic conversations. This is more of an encyclopedic structure, but it's a conversation between two entities trying to understand evil. But we'll, we, he will touch on it over here. Um, he, we are going to see e evil in just a second. But, um, but essentially, if God is all, all good, then we're from whence comes evil? That was what, um, um, uh, that was what uh, Epicurus asked as well. Um, so we'll, we'll get that in a second. But, but, let, but let's, let's get, try to get the mechanics of how to give the good, how to give himself, if this is going to work. Like, how, how, is, this, is this a piecemeal? How do you access that? So he, has, he needs to create a system in order for this to work. Right? There needs to be an algorithm and a structure of a system for this to operate. So how does that work? He has his argument. We name it Sarachir, Hatovaze, this is in the third paragraph, fourth paragraph on the on page thirty-six. Goodness can only be found in inside of him. Alkain, Gazrochov Masoshim at Sius Hatovami Tis Hazois, the process of getting this great goodness, Yebemashi Yitain Makom Labruim Le She Yistabku Bo Yispara Shemoy. So it's not giving him, it's giving us the opportunity to connect to him. Right? So it's the license, it's the ticket in to attach ourselves to him, which is therefore us achieving greatest goodness, right? So it's, a, it's not a, a, you know, an, a, a, a arrival at the door, right? He's not delivering himself. He's allowing us in, okay? To the degree that we can as finite beings. And from their side, that it will not be complete from uh, in terms of his terminology so by us attaching ourselves to him to the degree that we can possibly taste appreciate um, um, uh, uh, fullness and goodness that will be, have been achieved to the degree that we have the capacity to be able to so Hashem is going to create an external, we'll call creation, which views itself as independent, as we do, which lives in what seems to, it seems to think is an independent world, which is what we do. We, we treat this world as if it's an independent reality of God, right? We, don't, we do things which indicate that we don't really always see God in our lives all the time, right? So we live in this world. And the, the purpose of this is somehow gaining access back to him. So you know, like when you hear those memories in the Gomorrah, which talk about um, how a, like the, the world to come, Olam Abba, is a place where Tzadikim Yoshim Vachosem Barashem Venenim Ziva Shkina. They've got their crowns on their heads and they're in, enjoying the, the Shkina, the divine presence. It's hard to understand what that means, but that Gomorrah is trying to convey this point is that somehow success is of this whole project is when we gain the greatest good, the greatest good is God. How do we do that? By attaching ourselves to Him. How we attach ourselves to Him is the, is, is the matter of the next topic. Okay? So just to get a sense of the purpose of this whole, this whole project is to get there. Are we there now? Clearly not. We have to work out why this world is so deficient and far from that. That's going to be future chapters. And why it is the process seems to be prolonged and seems to be not sequential. It doesn't seem to be that an action automatically leads there. Why do so many actions? Why is life so complicated? There's many more steps. But that's the general, we'll call it, scheme of things. Yeah. So it, it, does it follow that Hashem put a neshama in each person? That's the part of Hashem that we're supposed to develop and connect to Hashem and enlarge or whatever we're supposed to 
do to it, but it's still constrained by the body and by the physical limitations. So there's right. no way that we can ever achieve more than we can achieve because we're like little sparks in a box. Correct. So it's a, it's a very fair point. And he, he, I think he was referencing this in, in, in the last paragraph where he says, he says, um, to the degree that we can. Because as you're pointing out, as you think about this uh, 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 from a perspective, uh, the following perspective, from God's perspective, are we independent? And the answer is no. He's, he's, he's created this space from him where we exist, right? And in that space, we view ourselves as independently existing. But technically speaking, if the experiment would end, we'd all, we'd, we'd all be part of the infinite, essentially, right? So God chose to create a space for other, which seems to view itself as other enough, meaning we're so distant from our source that we, we view ourselves as other. But if we were to ever have the experience of being so close to the divine, then our otherness would disappear, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's, that, by the way, is one of the understandings of what happened at Sinai. You know, it talks about B'nai Israel being, their neshamas being blasted back and their bodies being sent back 12 mil, that whole experience. That wasn't just like, you know, the fireworks. What that essentially saying was that God's revelation was so profound that the space for our existence diminished to such a degree there was nothing left for us. There was no space for us, right? So that those experiences can happen. But it is to the degree that we're able to, however. Bearing, bearing this in mind, God wanted to give to another. That was the purpose of this. So he has to create a world in which the otherness can still exist, right? <coughs> The most refined otherness, the most refined otherness could be as we refine ourselves to the point that we realize how powerful it is to be connected to the divine while still maintaining otherness. That's, that seems to be this, this, it's a very fine balance. People, sometimes you'll see that where this, this, the, this becomes interesting is with human beings who get very close to it. So if you think in history, just two human beings who really came close to sort of that meridian of otherness and godliness is... Moshe Rabbeinu, right? So, which is why Moshe Rabbeinu was the only thing that was preventing him from, so to speak, you know, you know, disappearing from existence was what's called Sharanun, the fiftieth gate, right? So he, he wasn't able to access that. But that's why he could be the lawgiver, because the lawgiver had no bias, had no personality, had no characteristic, right? That's why he was he, unlike anybody else was so removed from this world because he was pale, pale, dabber boy. That there, there's this, this direct communion with the God. There was very few people. There's one other person in history who had a little, a little bit of that kind of. Experience we learned about it a little bit last year, and that person was Eliyahu Anavi, because even in his death, it was that his body was was elevated to such a place as well, which is a, which is a unique experience as well. So, so that that is a but in order for the experiment to work, in order for this whole operation to work, it needs to be an other, even though there is a limit, there's a ceiling to what the otherness can can possibly receive. But that's the greatest goodness from their perspective of receiving. That's, that's what it's going to, going to be. Resident. You mentioned the word that people can do whatever to get closer to Hashem and become from and appreciate. So you offered this class, I got it a week ago, whatever, and all the other ladies who you sent it to, I don't know who they are, got it. And we have you know, 14 ladies on, on busy schedule. I'm sure everyone here is very busy. We chose to do this. Others chose not to, for whatever reasons, those who might. So it's all a lot of choices. Good, so we haven't got to choice yet. Rosemary, we need to get to choice. Choice is a very important part of this because it's part of the process, but we haven't, we haven't got there. We need to explain, explain the reason why we need, why choice is necessary. But that, that, that's, 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 in, two, that's in three paragraphs time. And that's a shame. Yes, Devet. One more question. So if, if the purpose is the ultimate uh, giving of good, so why couldn't we just 
Boom. Okay, so that's the so that's the next paragraph. So let's deal with Beth and then Rose, Rosemary's oh, okay. questions right now. So that's so the, so if that's true, then God should essentially create sort of a existence in which all these creations, others are essentially nursing from that great infinite good to the degree that that should be the greatest of giving. And then why are we here, right? Why do why, why do we have flat tires and and tuition, right? So I'm saying so that's that, that's the, that's part of the pro the problem. So why do we have to make choices? Is is a, is a good question. There could just be this you know wonderful you know so to speak you know lahavdil the matrix you know so just it's all it's all it's you know all self sustaining. No, so that's not how it works. So so here's the here's the next argument. So ulam and but so when, when when he starts with the but so this is the problem he's addressing there's an issue in this in the system. Gazra his wisdom decreed in order for the goodness to be complete in order for be to true goodness you need to be actually owning it you need to own the goodness for it to be real good why which means you own it earn it yourself not that it applies to you or it, or you come upon it in a inconsequential happenstance manner and you're going to learn because that's how he is complete God doesn't happen to be pure to be full and complete he is right he owns Shlemus right it's not an appendage a description an adjective an adverb, no, it's actually him. That's who he is. And we want to be like that. He is complete. He is good. And therefore, any incompletions are not part of him. No other being can achieve that inherently. But we are not inherently perfect. And if there are other people in our lives who tell us that, it's a good reminder to, that we that sometimes we tell it to ourselves. <speaking in Hebrew> to be completely devoid of fault. <speaking in Hebrew> to be somewhat close to Hashem in good or completion. <speaking in Hebrew> we need to actually choose it so that it becomes us. That it's not forced upon us. Thereby choosing to avoid missing, we'll call it deficiency, lackings. We need to choose fullness in order for it to be us rather than it being simply a mikre that we are perfect. And so just to complete this idea, then we'll just really think again. Valkain gozar baru. So God created a world which has aspects of, pure, of pureness and completion and aspects of deficiency. And he created a creation, a.k.a. human, and who can make choices between each of these ideas of completion and deficiency equally weighted. And therefore this being will have the wherewithal to make those decisions to choose completion like God and to avoid deficiency. And then it will happen, or he'll call, it'll be called that to that degree, that creation can be more godly. 
therefore is worthy of connecting to him. So let's just appreciate what this is. This goes out to a very fascinating concept, concept which Kabbalistically speaking, he's going to talk about later on as well, is what's called Nama de Kisufa, which means the bread of embarrassment. So I, whenever I receive something which I don't deserve, there's a degree of shame that I experience in that. Right? So whenever, like I'm, sh- I'm sure we've been in these situations where if you could take ourselves back to our childhood, even that's sometimes where it's easier to imagine because then we were less independent. So in a, in a moment where somebody offers us something and we feel so good about it, but at the same time, we feel badly that we had to have the offer, that somebody had to give us that ride, somebody had to give us that gift, somebody had to, and we, want, and, and we, we aspired to become independent people who could earn our way, make our decisions, choose where we go, when we go, and have independence. And that inbuilt emotion in the human psyche is a reflection of this idea which he's, he's, he's uh, talking about here, which means that I'm not really the owner of goodness if I wasn't the one to earn it. So I can't get it, it's not fully good if it was given to me as a gift. So let's go back to Beth's point for a second. If God were to create the world where we would automatically just be in Olam Abba, just receiving the good from my Kodesh Baruch Hu, that wouldn't be the greatest good in the world because we didn't actually get that good. We were just given that good. And therefore God's giving the absolute good would not really be given the absolute good because it would be deficient of absolute good because we didn't earn it. So in order for us to really be like Him and have more shlemos, we need to therefore choose that. But in order to choose that, it needs to be equally weighted that there's another option and that's called chesaron, which is lacking, deficiency. So, but in order for that to work, then it needs to be an equally weighted decision process in order for us to be able to get it. Which means, and if you think about this for a moment, this is just a, a fascinating model of thinking about life, which is a little bit stark. I, I apologize for it, but if you think about it, every human being is given a certain amount of what we'll call clay at the beginning of their life. You know, that's their, you know, you know physically, emotionally, psychologically, um, environmentally, we're given sort of basic material with which to work. And um, at the end of life, the, the rental, the clay is being taken back. What's left? What is us, essentially? is the sum total of decisions made, if you think about that. What did you do? How many decisions did you make with that material? And this is why people don't like making decisions, because decisions actually become who we are. Right? The, we, we, we prefer, like, you know, when you have a difficult decision coming up, so there's some people who are just very good at making decisions, right? Um, and uh, a lot of times those people will, will become very successful CEOs, because that's a lot of the discussion is, is, is making decisions. But generally speaking, a lot of people have difficulty making decisions. We like to wait it out until someone makes it for us, right? We like to be the victim of circumstance. I'm so sorry I couldn't come because, you know, because it was the car didn't come in time. I prefer, I prefer not having to make difficult decisions. So we, we av- avoid them. But ultimately, it's interesting that in the most proud moments in life, if you think back to the moments which really mattered in our own lives, there were times when we made very courageous decisions which involved sacrificing something in order to make to achieve something else. That's, that's, that's what our life is. And therefore, if you think about it, the sum total of our personality is really an amalgamation of all of those decisions made. And that's what Shlemus really is, is that at the end of the, the game, when we reach the final station, what decisions do we make to earn to be closer to Shlemus and more distant from Chesaron? That's, that's going to be the, the question at the end. And that being the case, then we really earned it because nobody else made those decisions for us. Because nobody else became us, therefore we really are truly ticket holders to getting to the next step, which is, which is, which is closeness and proximity to God. Which makes a lot of sense. It's not very easy to, to, 
to swallow because ultimately life requires a lot of very difficult decisions to make. Ilana. So when we look at the way our world has become, we can attribute a lot of the deficiencies that we created in our own children by just giving and giving and giving and not expecting them to earn anything. Right, so if you, if you, if you transpose this model, which is what you're saying, it's a, it's a, and spoken from, from a teacher over here. Um, <laughs> this is so, so therefore, it really isn't actually the greatest good to give to our children, right, if you think about that. It isn't the greatest good because they don't really earn the good that you give to them, right, essentially. That's if you're sort of transposing the model from God to us, from us to our children, right? So allowing them to earn their upkeep, in order them to make, to become decision-making adults and responsible, mature people, that would be a more, we'll call it, profound model of, of, of goodness to them than just giving them based, based on the fact that they have what they wanted or pouted to have. Right, so that's, that, 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 that is a, which is not intuitive, right? It's not intuitive because when we're in that seat and somebody's begging for something from us and we just give it to them without there being a system of why they should earn it, not just because they can shout loudly, then, then, then ultimately it's actually, it is, it is, although it is, we'll call temporarily, um, we'll call pleasure, giving them pleasure, but it's not gratifying long term because of the fact that they didn't actually earn it. Beth? Except that in Hashem's system, there is a certain amount of free giving. According to our view, as we look at goodness, and we don't know eventually, but I'm saying, according to us, there are certain people that get money, that get, you know, uh, True. family, that get. So there is a certain amount of free goodness that's given. That's good. So that's a good call. So let's just, let's just uh, differentiate between two different things right now. Um, one is is reward and ultimate goodness. That's what we call on our bar. That's not for now. And then there's the expense accounts, right? So, so like, so just to, to put this in, in, in clear terms. So let's say you have a, a salesperson who's, who's who's hired by a particular company in order to to close deals on whatever product it is. Give, let's give take a product. Toilet paper. There we go. <laughs> Wasn't the first thing going to mind, but it's absolutely. So let's say so there's a shortage, right? Especially around pandemics, and uh, you know. So 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 imagine. The, 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 this rep is going to, to uh, let's, let's say, Chicago and uh, needs to clinch a few deals. Is going to go speak to the Walmarts and the Targets and the Costco's out there in, uh, in, in Chicago. And so, so the company gives them a credit card and, and uh, pays for his flights and rents them a car and allows them to stay in a five-star hotel and, has, uh, and, and an account to take out executives to, to local restaurants, right? So he goes and he does, he spends three, day, three nights there and he does all his business and he has meetings after meetings and, and it was nice. I mean, like he got a nice upgrade on the car and it was a good hotel room and it was a good overlook and it was very fantastic. He comes back and he, you know, he closes seven deals, which is fantastic. And, and then he asks for his salary and they said, no, 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 we gave you, we gave you the, the ride to Chicago. And he says, that wasn't, that wasn't <laughs> that's not the reward. That's the wherewithal to be able to do the job, right? So it's important to realize that, 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 that all those things you describe, Beth, are the wherewithal. They're not the reward. So, it's, it's, so it, it could be that some people are given more wherewithal, and some people are given less wherewithal um, to, to do their job. And we don't know what our jobs are, because that's part of it is figuring out what our jobs are. That's not, not for this section right now. But, um, but, but it is important to differentiate that. So that's not reward. It's interesting that when the Torah describes, describes doing what you, get, what you get good from doing, having, living a good life, it never talks about reward. It always talks about the expense account. Rain, peace, you know, uh, pleasure, all these things are all the expense account making it easier. But that, that does have a, a double-edged sword. So like as an example, the Chavetz Chaim, when he lived in uh, his house in Radin, didn't have any chairs that had backs. He was a very, lived a very simple lifestyle. And, it, and people offered him and said, you know, Rosh Hashiva, <laughs> we'll get you chairs, right? It's not like a, you know, 
big expense item. And he says, no, he, doesn't, he didn't want it because he didn't feel. There was a few, there's a few versions of how he answered. There's one version I heard. I heard three different versions. But the one version I heard was that he, his response is it could be that he spoke to three different people but, uh, and gave different perspectives. But the one answer was is that he didn't want to up the expense account because then he'd be expected to bring in more sales. Think about that for a second, right? So if you do have a, lot, a, gra a greater wherewithal, there's a high expectation to be doing a specific job. So one has to think carefully about that. And, um, and that, that, that requires a lot of, a lot of uh, um, thought. But that isn't good. That, 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 isn't, that, that is, uh, so to speak, the, the, the ability to, to it. And some people are very limited, whether it be financially or psychologically or emotionally. They have a different job to be doing. Right, but that's but that doesn't that, that, that that's not a reward at all. That could be the, the rewards could be completely divergent. Yeah. Like Lana mentioned about we um, giving our children without them earning it. I remember um, years ago, my my kid said to me, um, "I want to have a pair of new shoes." And my husband said, "Do you need them?" Big difference between I want and I need. For sure. Well, our, our, our needs have increased in this. And my uh, mother used to say, anybody could give birth, but it depends on how one parents the children. So it's not the children's fault. Truth, truth, truth is told, right? This, is, uh, this requires a lot of, it requires a lot of, but when we talk about modeling after God, after Hashem, it also requires thinking about this. We're the children. You know, this is, this is a hard way uh, to learn to learn. No, you're right. It's a very good call. It is. So I, I'm so glad you mentioned this because I actually forgot what I was about to answer to Beth as well. Second point as well to, to Beth's point, which is what you're raising, Liara, and that is that Hashem is also, and this is like this is a bad example, but it's perhaps sometimes a, 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 it's a helpful model to use. Is he's an investor as well? This is what the Shari, the, the, the Shari Yosher of Shemoshkop writes in his introduction, is that is that. God also invests in us. So He gives us a lot of wherewithal at the beginning, and He gives us a lot of free stuff at the beginning of life as well. And at the end of life, He's going to ask us, you know, did you, did you come through on that investment, right, so to speak. So as life comes on, we become, it goes, goes on, hopefully, if we're mature people, millennials are struggling with this still, but um, we, we become more and more independent, right? Like we give fully and wholly to our children, in their stage of infancy, and then less so in their toddler, and less so in their in their elementary school days, and less so in their high school days, we we, we give it. We are essentially weaning them off to become human beings who can make their own decisions, right? So God, in a certain sense, is doing the same thing to us as well in a global picture. So we 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 have the space. We have the space to get there as well. It's not it's not an immediate, um, but as we come to that realization, as we become more mature, we become more sophisticated, we start reflecting on ourselves and saying, wait a second, there is, I need to be doing, making more decisions in order to, so to speak, earn my, the fact that I got all this stuff, all this, this giving, which is uh, pretty amazing. It's amazing that if you think about children, I only really appreciate their parents when they already have children. It was like, 
you really did this for me? It's like, like really? Like in the middle of the night seven times? I don't know. So like it's, it takes a while for a child to actually, you know, understand. Um, so so it's, it, it's a process and we have the same kind of process of God in our lives. I think we've had those epiphanies where we're like, God, wow. Good question. Not sure. We're gonna we, we, what we're gonna do as we as we move forward is we're gonna look at one important seismic change in history, and that's before and after the sin, and what changed then. That's gonna be in the coming chapters because there was a change in the world. The Dharamabul may be a reenaction of it to a certain degree, but no, but only to a lesser degree. But let's 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 see how that that fits into Torah because right now we're just talking conceptually. We haven't looked at specific examples yet. Um, then yeah. No, it just seems like Hashem may good and He wants to be good and gave us that purpose, and then we're supposed to copy what he did and give the good to the next, and the next, and the next. But On a macrocosm, right. Yeah, but that's why Adam and Chava didn't work first round, because there's nobody to give to, except each other. Well, not clear. Well, not clear. We'll, we'll come back to that as well. There was, it was just a more simple system. We'll see why and what happened in that system, because it's very important to understand what happened, that we, we have voracious for two days, and then we move on. <laughs> it's like, it's a whole world. Uh, meaning, what was version A, plan A of reality, what was plan B, we're in plan B right now. Well, there's a few B iterations. But, um, but yeah, so there, there's a lot to talk about there. So hang, hang on for that, because this is still conceptual. Um, folks, I just actually didn't, didn't ask. I, I didn't, I'm happy to stop at 45 minutes an hour. I don't know what the, the, the scheduling is for, for everybody. Like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if somebody, if so, okay, I'm happy to go to 11. If, if people feel that they need to leave, and you can tell me afterwards, don't feel uncomfortable. Um, I'll stop. I'll stop just before eleven, and we'll and we'll track him. Yeah, we'll try. We'll try. <laughs> so here's here's what he says. Now this paragraph three is a little conceptual. Is a little bit theoretical, conceptual, but it's it's very profound perspective. And then we'll the, the, we'll get to as you notice by the way, he's very very logical. So this the, you'll you'll notice that this is chapter. This is called chapter two in section one, and this is um, section. Four, um, three that we're entering of that. So essentially, we're at notation 1.2.3. Okay, that's where we are just to understand how he's doing it. It's all very clearly laid out. Um, this is not, by the way, the way that things were done in Jewish writing, generally speaking, and certainly not at his time. So it's just, uh, it is revolutionary in the perspective that he's doing it. So here's what he says in paragraph three. Quick gimel. Again, omnam is another but, which means now to, to pre- he's going to be a little more precise. Milvadhi yois habriya hazois. The, the, the fact that this creation, the degree that we're going to become closer to Hashem is the degree we become more like Him. That makes sense. If He is absolute completeness, and we want completeness in order to receive the absolute good, right? Then the more we are like Him, the more, the, the more good we're going to be, the more shlemus we have. To the degree that the process and the result is actually going to, be, going to be the same. Sometimes the process and the result are different, right? So, very, very rudimentary example. I go to the arcade uh, and, um, and spend endless amounts of money with my kids, right? When you go to the arcade, what you're doing is you're playing these really dumb games, right? And then you get these tickets and you wait in line for a very long time to get a pencil. You know, <laughs> so, so, but in the, if you think about it, in the, it's like you know, it's like I got three hundred, and you can earn a little eraser, 
right? So, so at the end of the day, the process and the, and the result are different. They're separate, right? So the process is, is doing very well at getting the ball through that hole, and, uh, and the result is getting the eraser, right, with cashing with the tickets. When it comes to this world, it actually is the same process. It's a converging process, which means the more I'm choosing Shlemus, the more I'm making refined decisions about the way I am, the more I actually am becoming more shell shalem, right? The reward and the process become the same. I'm a much more pleasurable person to be around. I'm a much, it's much more enjoyable to be around a person who's in control of their visceral anger rea- reactions. I'm making choices, right? I'm becoming a better person. That becoming is actually part of the, the actual the re- reward. It's a very profound perspective, right? It's better to be better. Right? It, 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 these decisions make us the kind of per- people we want to be. This is true on the top of the next page. Because his reality, is really full completion or true completion, as we've explained. Full completion only relates directly to him, as a branch from the root. Even though we, I, as a human being, can never really be quite as perfect as he, but I may be somewhat able to be like him. I will be an extension of God. You think about that? That's a very profound perspective, right? In life, when I'm becoming a more patient person, when I, in life, am becoming a less critical person, I'm becoming godly. I'm becoming a representative of God in this world. And I'm not God, but I'm a little closer to him than the person who's acting like the orangutan in the zoo, that when somebody steals its lunch, it goes and beats up its fellow orangutan, right? Which is what a lot of people do. And that's how they drive, and that's how they talk, right? Because they are essentially just continuing their primate reactions. On the continuum, they are very far from being shalem, from being godly. You will see, Full completion is his reality. Elaine, coming back to your point. Therefore, where is anything which is incomplete? Where is deficiency? Deficiency is found in the absence of his expression. Okay? Where he is not, where he's chosen not to be. Now, he can be everywhere, but he's chosen not to be. Right? That's an important point. It's not a deficiency in his fullness. Venimsa, it comes out, that his shining of his face, that's what we, we term, we we'll call his presence, where he turns his face and his energy, I'm closeness to it, is going to be the reason of all completion. And when his face is hidden, will be the space in which all lacking and deficiency can exist. To the degree that he's hidden is the degree that deficiency exists and manifests itself in this world. Where do we, where do we talk about this on a daily basis? We, we say this every day. It's an amazing, amazing thing. It's, just like, it's hard to always appreciate the words. We say in the Shemone Esrei, Sim, Shalom, Tavarachem, he says to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, turn to us. Let's get the exact words over here. Um, and here is what we, we ask at the end of the Shemona Esrei. Baruchenu v'nu kolon ke'echad ba'or panecha. Hashem, please give us the or panim. Turn your energy, your manifestation towards us. Why? Ki v'or panecha, because in your energy, in your space, in your light. Meaning all those good things exist in the space where you are. Please give us the space where you are. That's what we're essentially asking. Right? It's not blessing. Presence. Therefore, from whence comes evil, and this is a much greater topic, 
evil therefore exists in the darkness, in the shadow where God is, has chosen not to be. Now God can be then, in a certain sense he is, that's what's complicated about this, but where he, uh, where he uh, will court expressly decides to hide himself is where evil manifests itself. You know, lahavdil, but we, let's say the police stop patrolling a particular area, right? In that area, then all kinds of forces will take the vacuum of power, right? And there are many forces of evil in the world. A lot of them are human, um, who make, their, make bad decisions. So, therefore, continuing this idea of Alkain, therefore, this creation, how I made Bishikul, that's us, who stands in the equal weighted decision, therefore has the choice to make pure, we'll call it complete decisions and deficient decisions. Shem which are products of Hashem's light and His hiddenness. By choosing them to make them for ourselves. By making the choice for towards Shemus, I am therefore making, I'm attaching myself to root, I'm, I'm, I'm entrenching myself in infinity. To the point that when I achieve that by making that decision, I am making myself attached to him and his completion. And therefore, I really own that shlemus because I chose it because I had a very difficult decision in the obstacle course that was in front of me. I made a very difficult decision to be a little more complete, a little more wholesome, a little more godly in that, and therefore I own it. Which is very powerful, powerful perspective, right? So I am essentially the owner of my destiny. I'm the owner of my shlemus. I am choosing it, and therefore I am it. And I'm part of him, which is a very validating perspective. Yes, Elaine. So it seems like, uh, almost like, like the Yaakov Hashem was experimenting because until he gave the Torah, people probably had no idea how to choose. They had to just make it up. <laughs> but once he gave the Torah, it gave a lot more guidelines to what to do. Very good question. It's an so excellent point. It directed point. us more. It's an excellent point. It's an excellent point. And so. We, 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 he is going to explore this later on as well, because this is a very, very, a very crucial point, is that, you know, at the beginning of creation, there were only one slash two commands, right? And um, at the very beginning of creation. Afterwards, there was this period of void, where it's almost as if the world was in, in, in a state of free fall, to, to a degree, until one person emerged, and that person was Avraham, and then there became the chosenness of expansion of that family into a nation, that nation into a necessary process called Kura Barzel, which is Egypt, the smelting pot formation of a nation, and then chosen. So what happened in between there is a good question, is how are people supposed to arrive at the reality? There were seven, we'll call it guidelines in general, up to that point in time, universal laws. But um, how are people supposed to arrive at that? Avraham seems to be doing more than those seven guidelines. So there's a lot of questions that, that require answering. The other question, just pointing out, there's a lot missing over here. It sounds like right now, the way he's saying it, is that this is an automatic process, right? So to the degree I'm making these choices is the degree I'm being more shalem. That's not always, it's not quite as obvious and sequential in the lives that we live. And we see there's a very big separation between choices and, and, and reward and time of reward and place of reward. So there's a lot more to discuss. But this is the general, so we, we have a lot of details missing from this model, but he's sort of setting up the big, the build, the big building blocks and then we're going to go into the more details. Last thing, and let's close with this, um, I want to just, because this actually closes our chapter, um, which is 
um, that then puts us in position to understand humanity as a whole next week. He says the following, V'inei, in source, uh, uh, paragraph Dalad, Since all reality is essentially a sum total binary options of, of, of completion and deficiency, and this creation, meaning humanity, in, in the place that it needs to be, which is perush, with the opportunity of choosing one or two of those and the ability to be able to. There's nothing forcing us one way or another. By choosing completion and moving away from deficiency. And they have the wherewithal to make those decisions, right? If you don't have the opportunity, then it's all, it's all null. Then obviously, this is a very sophisticated playground, right? This obstacle course has to have lots of different factors in order to facilitate this process that, the, first of all, the decisions are equally weighted. I have the wherewithal to get to both of them. I have the capacity to get to both of them. And every moment in my life, I have those choices. That's a very complicated algorithm. Um, and also the intercorrelations between all the different pieces of this algorithm. Until a person can succeed at this. Because imagine, let's say I had one big choice to make in my life, and then I made it. Right? Good or bad, whatever it is. But the rest of my life is still here, so I have to make more decisions. And we've, it's an amazing thing we find in our lives that the decisions keep coming, right? And they keep getting harder. Um, so, which means to say that the process around us for every human being has to keep shifting to make those equal weighted decisions that every person is making throughout their lives. And every human being, all the 7 billion of them on the earth right now, have the same, this same, uh, the same question. The creation which is destined for this great purpose, to um, attach ourselves to him, this is the greatest point of, of, of all humanity. Oh, sorry, all of creation, which is us, the human being. And therefore, any other factor in this universe is going to be aiding us in that process. If you think about it, right? So as much as we love dogs and cats and everything, and I'm, and I'm also a big pet person, but they are still part of the environment. They're not part of the decision-making, if, you know if that makes sense, right? I mean, a human being has to make decisions. There's a, a, a very large obstacle course. There's an algorithm as to all the decisions we need to make. And everything around us is to create the space for those decisions. So everything else is a part of the project. Um, therefore, they are subsidiary to the Bria, which is the human being, which is placed in this world. Very important to sort of understand our place in the creation. And finally, to conclude, Humanity is the main point of this creation. And everything else which is created, whether it's a microscopic bacteria or whether it is a mountain range, or for him. Now, that doesn't mean to say it's for us to go and destroy. That's not what he means. Right? Doesn't mean go blast away and make a pipeline across. It just means to say that it is so that we can have the choices to make ourselves better. Uh, based on all the different perspectives that we have on, in life. As I will try to explain. And finally, what is, what is completion? This is a general rule, rule of thumb. It's very hard to recognize this, but it makes a lot of sense. 
Shleimus is always found in the realm of ideas. And bad characteristics of materialism is generally speaking where 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 chisar and where where deficiency exists. And a person's placed between the two. Now it's more complicated than that. That's a very helpful rule of thumb, right? So if I'm in this decision and I'm and I'm saying to myself, you know, I just started this diet, but why did they put the piece of chocolate cake right in front of me, right? And I'm trying to make that decision, and I can start my diet tomorrow, and really, does it really make a difference? Nobody's going to really notice, and I didn't tell anybody I was dieting, right? So all these things, but essentially, what you what, you, what the, you, you're struggling between, or what's happening between an idea and a, a, a physical reality, right? And that struggle is where, that's a very, very rudimentary example. Life is much more complex than that, right? But, but if you're essentially struggling between an idea and, and a tangible reality. When one's struggling between those two, it's easier to know what Shlemus and, and Chesaron is. Yes, physical reality is necessary. I need to feed myself and, and I need to uh, do exercise, I need to be healthy and I need to go on vacation, all those things, those are all material. But sometimes when you're struggling between ideas and material, that's, that's a good example of where we're sort of on that Nice edge of decisions to, to, to make. So it's, uh, it doesn't always help us make those decisions, but it helps us be aware of those decisions at least retroactively. Okay, so this is a lot. This is just a lot. This is this is all very big ideas. This isn't very specific yet. Who he's got? He's going to do is he's going to narrow it down in terms of talking about where the place for each of these are, where the times for each of these are, how we understand the creation story. There are a lot of a lot of different points. I look forward, to God willing, in the next few weeks to do that together. Thank you so much, everybody, for taking the time to be.